Activate the time portal. Land before time land. Land before time land. From the Cretaceous to the Jurassic. From the Great Green Valley to the Big Big Water. This land was made for time and land. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the end times. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant the before times, specifically where land is involved. This is Land Before Timeland, the podcast where we take a look at the most inexcusable and upsetting franchise of all time that based on, of course, the Land Before Time movie. You, you can see how this one made us feel. <laughs> uh, I am your host, Madeline May, along with my co-host, Chris Nebergal. That would be the me person. And today we have an incredible guest. Uh, she is, uh, first and foremost, a therapist for the County of Los Angeles. And boy, do we need it after watching this one. And uh, she also is um, a hell of a bass player and singer in this uh, indie band called Inkblot, you know, which I hear people are talking about. You know, it's 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 getting a lot of buzz. You might have heard of it. You might have heard of it. A lot of podcasts are talking about Inkblot right now. You know, it's it's a big thing. Uh, Folks, uh, please give it up for Jesslyn. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Jess? Um, I mean, I've been better. I I was better before I watched this movie. Yeah. I mean, we really do this because uh, we want to end all of our friendships as quickly as possible. That's that's the whole idea. Of yeah, this, podcast. this was why I became friends with you all those years ago was so that I could end it in spectacular fashion right here by and making right you now watch this by film. watching this movie. Yes. Uh, Jess, what is what is your experience with the Land Before Time franchise? So I loved the Land Before Time franchise as a small child. I think it was my favorite movie. My parents recorded it on VHS, and I watched it over and over again. Like it, I it made me cry. I think every time. Uh, it was like I think the first movie I played when I finally got my own VCR in my room, which was like the height of class on the reservation. I, I should mention I'm American Indian, so that will come up. Um, mm-hmm. And. With every successive sequel, I liked it a little bit less. I, I only made it to about four or five. But I do remember very distinctly, in about the second grade, making a bet with a bunch of my friends that Land Before Time would get up to number 10. And here we are at 13, so those people owe me money. And with interest, it You should collect. Like. <laughs> Honestly, you should collect. Unless there was somebody that invested um, like uh, 10 movies in one, like The Price is Right or something, and they, they ended up winning the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, that's was kind of my experience with it too. I I ended up watching up until seven, uh, or the the alien one is it's colloquially uh, known here As on it's the known podcast. In this apartment, in this apartment, the alien one, and we've had people on the show that have I think watched way more than that, which is insane to me. Yeah. how they've done that. I think also you you've mentioned that you're also a, a dinosaur uh, aficionado, like Chris is. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm quite as knowledgeable as Chris is, but I loved dinosaurs as a kid. I wanted to be a paleontologist. I still have dinosaur toys that I collected from my childhood around, Aww. so I'm sure that will come up. You may be just as knowledgeable as me, just less inclined to uh, project that knowledge and, and, and bullshit your way through conversations about dinosaurs. <laughs> well, I am more inclined to draw really dinosaurs, do. though, so there is that. There yeah, you, go. You, drew, you drew me a dinosaur once, and it was very nice. And I would do it again. 
So you heard it here, folks. A new Patreon reward. Uh, Jess will draw you any dinosaur you want. Uh, if it's pornographic, however, she'll draw it even better. So please make those requests, and we'll get back to you uh, as soon as we can. This movie that we're going to talk about is the 13th one, Lucky Number 13. Lucky Number 13. X-I-I-I colon, The Wisdom of Friends. Uh, Jess, do you have any initial thoughts on this before we kind of dive right right into the movie? Why is the series so long? Why would they do this to me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my! This one is... I know we've said this before many times, but this one is a doozy. It might be the worst one. It it might. It might not, but it might. We, 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 we're, had... yet to, we're yet to make our official ranking, ladies and gentlemen, but holy shit, this we, movie. We, we've had points, and we've made jokes about, like, it's it was hard to get through a, a particular movie in the franchise. This one, like, I was actively getting angrier every time I looked at it, like when I would peer up from my notes, I would just get mad and like, just get, of, I would just get more and more stressed. A bunch of concerned people in lab coats came in and uh, put, 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 you know, little sensors all over Maddie. Her body is rejecting the movie. We have to get her out of this room. They had to set me up like the guy from a clockwork orange in order to finish <laughs> we, it. We did yeah. have it to was... do a debrief therapy session before we were ready to record. We watched the movie, and it's now been uh, five years later. Where that's I'm why, finally that's why able it's been to so come long since our last it. episode. Yeah, because yeah, it, it, it took a while for me to process this. <laughs> I only cry a little bit now when I think about um, Stegosauruses. So, which weren't even in the <laughs> movie. Work. So that just goes to show like how much of an impact this had. Isn't that what Spike is? It's in Spike a Stegosaurus. Spike is indeed a Stegosaurus. Ooh, oh, there you go. Well, Spike is barely guess... in the movie, so I still stand by my statement. Spike is barely in most of these movies, um, but th- th- there's a couple where he stars in, and those are pretty good. But let's let's not look back at the happier days, like other <laughs> other sequels in this this franchise. Let's um let's dive right into what um a lot of fans of the series say is the worst one. And we were laughing at them before we watched this too. Like, oh, they think this is the worst one. Lol. Yeah, they might be right. This might be the worst one. This might one. be the worst one, but we'll we'll see how that kind of plays out. The, the film opens like every single other one with I mean, we've made this joke so many goddamn times on it, this it podcast. It opens in space, but in this space. time it's in it's in like uh, Universe Sandbox 2 and it's really really bad 3D graphics. I thought we were like about to play Mist, honestly. <laughs> that was my thought <laughs> yeah. the, when I was watching this. So the opening narration <laughs> opening. makes no sense. It's like there there are creatures that are alive, and then they get eaten, and there's shaky cam and zooms the entire time. I swear I was going to get like vertigo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what they're doing is they're just like zooming in on what looks like just like a scanned fact sheet of like the worst background <laughs> drawing I've ever seen. It's uh, it's so it's I'll- so crappy. It, it, it's almost like not crappy it's hard to explain because usually the backgrounds are just like shitty 3d but this time they're like shitty 2d like blown up so you can see the pixels whenever they do like a fake zoom on it yeah it's very strange (laughs) it's very jarring although they did uh actually kind of correctly uh depict the earth um in this one i i didn't i didn't get a look at the exact map of the continents or anything but africa was like separate from eurasia and and India hadn't quite crashed into Asia yet, so it they, they actually uh, 
they they tried they tried to make it looked like Pangea was was splitting up into the present continents. That was one artist's job. He was given the strict mandate to get this map right. Yeah. So then, if they were doing more research, what kind of lizard dinosaur was the opening creature? Chris? Uh, I think, d- didn't that little thing or something quite like it appear in the first movie, in the little intro sequence? That little salamander thing. That was, like a wa- a, that was like a water thing in that first. Yeah, there's like a little a little salamander thing because they're doing the whole primordial earth. Um, and basically the the theme of the little opening sequence is that this, this little salamander thing comes up onto land and by being gray, I guess, it can hide among stones and convince a predator that it isn't there. And we see this big sharp tooth like sniffing around the stones where it is oh, i guess it's not here and it turns around <laughs> and then this little thing pops up and the narration is like things developed different wisdom to survive which is which is instincts right they're talking about natural yeah. instincts they're when using, they say wisdom using the right wisdom interchangeably with instinct but then they use the term wisdom interchangeably with a lot of other concepts yeah, we're going we're going way ahead let's not <laughs> confuse the audience it's gonna audience be confusing just yet. enough when we get <laughs> yes, there yes it's gonna be um, what but I love is- about this moment, though, of the lizard, like, <laughs> popping out, where I swear to God, this moment is five minutes long, and it's just the longest shot of a lizard, like, getting up, sitting on the rock, screaming. The yeah. worst, then- <laughs> most ear-piercing scream yeah, of the entire the whole- movie. I'm like, I thought I died at this point. Like, <laughs> what is happening? Why is this yeah, here? It just, it just pops up. After the sharp tooth walks away, stares dumbly at the camera for a second, and then, like it's bellowing its name from the rooftops, just goes. And it's so funny because it's so funny because it's trying to escape the dinosaur, and like immediately gets up and just starts screaming. Like what the fuck? And standing still while it's screaming until a stampede of sharp teeth predators come after it and it runs away. Yeah. Yeah, because it was screaming. <laughs> what the fuck did it think was going to happen? To be fair, that oh. might be the theme of the movie. Screaming gets yeah, you predators. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. As I was talking about this, yep, that, that thought did come to my head, but that's a little bit of a spoiler for a little further into the, the episode. Yeah, this, this movie, there is no B-plot. The entire movie is laser-focused on one particular theme and one particular story, and... It is so problematic, and I can't wait to tell you all about it. Not since Nine has there been such (laughs) lazy storytelling uh, in this franchise. And and not not since the immediately previous film has there been as much racism. So we'll we'll get to there. Um, And before we do, just real (laughs) quick, as focused as this movie is, they don't know what the fuck they're focusing on. No. No, No, not. Absolutely not. Um, I don't know... What anything is, I don't know the how what size any dinosaur is, which is a you know that's a feature of this franchise, not a bug. <laughs> they want you to think that they just have impossible sizes in physics. Um, it's I will say there at least isn't a shot of like the dinosaurs in like a third person um, uh, RTS <laughs> oh, that, view, that, that, which that's is it. what normally we get in these intros, <laughs> where we just like see these giant dinosaurs. <laughs> Giant dinosaurs on a tiny landscape. Like collecting pylons and shit on <laughs> You must construct additional tree stars. Um, 
So we open on Littlefoot trying to eat tree stars and failing. He like, yeah, he just forgets to eat and just starts choking on himself. That's pretty fun. I, I had a good laugh at that. So there's this perilous log, of course, over a ravine. And Littlefoot can't get to the tree stars on the top of the tree that his grandma's eating. So he wanders across this perilous log over a ravine to get the tree stars that are over there. And his grandma's like, uh, Littlefoot, I think you should get down from there. And he's like, but I can get these tree stars all by myself. Littlefoot, come down from there. That's quite a drop. But Grandma, there's still some tree stars on it. And then what happens, ladies and gentlemen? Is it... An earthquake? You just won zero dollars. It is an ooh, earthshake. The thing that happens ooh, every five cr- seconds ooh, in Chris, this franchise. Chris, I'm sorry, uh, but the correct answer was earthshake. Oh, no! Earthshake. We are going to have to deduct points from that. I also have a that. secret suspicion, which I will mention later. Cool. I love this moment because we find out immediately that Littlefoot has a new voice actor. Mm-hmm. And it is quite possibly the worst voice acting I've ever heard, or I would say until a little later in the film. Um, but this is like a high pitched screech of a voice that Littlefoot has. It is obnoxious immediately. You just want it to end. And I love this moment as 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 a as a as a landhead. I don't know what the Land Before Time fans are called. Eggheads. Uh, eggheads, uh perverts, maybe. Um, but the Littlefoot crossing a log to get some more tree stars is hilarious because, like, obviously, as a fan of the franchise, nothing bad has ever happened on a log over a ravine. That is somehow, like, a thousand feet in the air. Yes. Um, cool. Yeah, the Great Valley is, is the least safe place you could possibly think of. Uh, to, to make your to make your paradise home. But anyway, this earth shake happens and Littlefoot um, almost dies. Maybe rightfully, I think that's maybe his. It was maybe his time to go at that point. Darwinism. Darwinism. Um, Grandma uh, saves him by putting her another th- like thousand ton body on this log across a ravine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, trees were just made better back then. They don't tell you about that. <laughs> That and was then, the that was the wood that they used to construct the uh, the new One Piece ship that made it be able to go through the Grand the Line. The Thousand Sunny. The Thousand I'm Sunny. I'm a big nerd. I, well, that's why I said it because I know you you get it finally. Someone here gets the One Piece references. <laughs> but anyway, Grandma predictably falls when the log immediately snaps and under this, her this colossal weight. And this moment of her falling is so awkward and poorly done. I was laughing. <laughs> to be fair, I was also, it laughing. was not immediately snapping because that would make sense. No, no, she has time to get on the log, grab Littlefoot, put him in safety, and then the log falls. Yes, yeah. that's why. That's why it's so weird and awkward. Like, it's... I was like, like oh, I'm just gone now. <laughs> it's so funny. It's... it's. I was... I, I had a great time watching Grandma fall, is and what I'm trying to say. we are treated to the image of a sauropod somehow clinging to the edge of a ravine and pulling herself <laughs> up yes. using... Yes, sauropods are neck, now I built guess? for climbing. Uh, yeah. with, with this, which fucking uh, that happened in the um the the, the source rock thing too. Where they somehow just climb over these fucking mountains. Yeah. Oh my I god. I kept thinking I love it. like, couldn't they just have her like grab Littlefoot with her head because she has a long neck? Yeah, her well, neck what... is longer than the ravine. Well, doesn't isn't that how she she um she saves Littlefoot right on the log? She she sh- shoves her her big old neck down there to catch him. 
Well, when he falls, but then she's like still standing on the log right. for some reason. It's like why why couldn't she just use her neck? Well, I think that was the problem was that it's just adults can stand on the log. That's okay. <laughs> only they're, when they're, only only if you're old enough. Only while you're rescuing a child will the log not fall. It's kind of like how Wiley e. Coyote will not fall until he realizes he's not on solid this ground. Is, this movie is basically a, a Roadrunner and Coyote sequel in a lot of ways. <laughs> There's a lot of Roadrunner. A lot, lot of Roadrunner. I have a headache already. Um, but anyway so grandma almost bails uh, just fucking total wipeout uh, major cribbage and um, she climbs up I don't know with her big old dinosaur feet I don't know how she does it Sauropod's claws are meant for climbing yeah I guess that's what we found out paleontological breakthrough and then this is um, turns out to be a very traumatizing moment for Littlefoot uh, I think I think rightfully, even though it's presented in again the funniest way they could have possibly done yeah, this. Yeah, as a therapist, I was completely baffled by the way that they portrayed PTSD because at first he's like, "I'm sorry, I thought I could get to it," and that's all. Like he's not shaking, he's not crying, he's not sad. He's just apologetic for not listening, even though she didn't actually tell him not to go on the log. So I don't even. Yeah, like he's more. He's more worried about her being mad at him than the fact that he almost just died. Yeah, and it's only apparent he's traumatized later during uh, whatever they call nightmares, sleep, uh, sleep stories, sleep stories, that he's having nightmares about the incident. But like during the moment, he's afraid of being in trouble, but doesn't actually care that his grandma just died or almost died. No, nothing has ever bothered Littlefoot before. Like he's been in peril and danger a, a, a trillion times. Except in this for franchise. the very first movie. Except for the very when first his movie. Mom died. When his mom died. But he I doesn't mean, care about anything else in the sequel. I think that was the moment when he lost himself. He no longer was able to create uh, emotions for himself after that point. So maybe he's like you know, Spike Spiegel he and just dead. thinks he's already dead. Yeah. There you go. I would watch a Cowboy Bebop Land Before Time Cross. I would watch a Land Before Time crossover with any franchise, to be fair. We did speculate during this movie that... Uh, they didn't make it to the Great Valley in the first movie. They all died, and this is just their, like, lost purgatory. Oh, it's the good place, but it's the bad place. That's ex- yeah. exactly. That's what I thought, because it, it's pretending to be the good place, but just horrible things happen to them all the time. Yeah. Now, spoilers, I guess, for people who haven't seen the first season of Good Place. The, this this valley is just is just unending torture for all who dwell within. But Littlefoot has this, this nightmare. Um... And then becomes like a, a worry word for the rest of the movie. Yeah, because because after he she almost falls, Grandma's like, you know, you uh, you shouldn't uh, do stupid things, Littlefoot. But I like doing stupid things. That's why we learn the wisdoms. Wisdoms? I remember them. What were they again? Well, we have these things called the wisdoms. Now, what are uh, the wisdoms? For how to live. It's never explained during this part it's where you would never. think there would be like a montage or something. No. So Littlefoot has this nightmare about his grandma actually falling and dying. And then for the rest of his life, he's just obsessed with the wisdoms. He becomes like this, this, this total like paranoid uh, control freak a ter- also wisdom a term we have never heard before in the land before time franchise this is the introduction to this term of wisdoms which again i thought was just animal instincts like um at at best maybe like a, a mother 
bird teaching their baby to fly, something like that. But it it almost immediately gets into just in uh, nonsense territory. Like it immediately doesn't make sense. Um, in this next sequence where um the 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 other um the other dinosaur children are are playing a game that was I guess designed so that Petrie could not win it <laughs> or Ducky. Was, like Ducky could not win that one either. No, but like it's a game about jumping and like. Yeah, I feel like this is distinctly like, Petrie, we hate you. Please play this game that you will always lose. The game is that that they're in a really rough current stream, and they're trying to jump from rock to rock without getting swept away in the current. And obviously, Petrie's not allowed to fly because that's cheating, and Ducky's not allowed to swim because that's cheating. But they, therefore, are both the losers of the game because they're small and they can't make the jumps properly. And Littlefoot shows up, and sees you know sees his friends doing this perilous thing and he's he's like sam eagle this does not look safe and he comes up and says what are you guys doing and and sarah says uh, petrie says petrie says we're playing jump and get swept away fun game <laughs> we play and jump and get swept away it's fun we're we're, we're playing gamble with god <laughs> We're going to play Fall and Die next. You want to play Littlefoot? Bring your grandma. Yeah, and Sarah I... actually gets like swept away into the river and he gets really like Littlefoot gets really upset and then Sarah stands up because the water is all of 2 feet deep. Yeah. yeah. And it was never a threat. Little Littlefoot in this movie basically becomes like the 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 Chucky from Rugrats of the group. Like he yes. just becomes like very worried about everything. He becomes very scared. And, and and overly protective, like, oh, everyone's going to die, just like my my grandma almost did because of me, entirely because of me. And um, <laughs> so this is going to keep happening. They um, play this game, this, this water game, and then they uh, sing a song about the wisdoms. Called the Say-So. In order... The say, the say so's. Which is an entire song of complaining that their parents tell them not to do explicitly stupid and dangerous things. Oh, oh, you can't say no when your mama says stay, you cannot go. Like, I was trying to figure out, like, the moral of this song. Is it about how, like, you should listen to your parents or that you shouldn't? listen to your parents well it's the kids complaining that they're told to listen to their parents and sarah's whole thesis is basically my dad tells me not to ram my head into things at 100 miles an hour but i'm gonna headbutt whatever i want something's in your way bump it with your horn oh bump it with your horn and petrie sings the majority of this song which even if you're going to turn land before time into a musical which i know that all of us equals do but even if you're going to do that, why is Petrie your lead? Oh, God. If only this was the first and last time, as opposed to this being <laughs> a continuing thread in the franchise. They just keep giving Petrie songs. Yeah, Petrie, who of all the characters is is putting on the most of a character voice, is, is asked to sing. Um, one day it really ought to be Spike. Just leading a song with his that would be better. That would be better. Um, Honestly, though, Spike does laugh in this song, and it is the voice of a fifty-year-old man. Yeah. I, um, you should go back and um, um, Jess, if you can find a clip of him doing trumpet sounds with his mouth <laughs> in one of the songs. Um, Spike's greatest moment in the franchise. Uh, legitimately amazing. Um, 
while this is all going on, uh, they finish the song, and all of a sudden they they hear a rustling, and what I think is the uh, the racist grass field, because um, <laughs> because this is the same field where uh, where, <laughs> where they discovered Guido, where they discovered Guido, a a a dinosaur. Um, for those who remember the last episode, or maybe haven't listened to that one yet, uh, uh, Guido was a dinosaur. It, it was um, uh, was ba- a r- basically a collection of of Woody Allen impressions and Jewish stereotypes. And his name is Guido. Yeah. So it's <laughs> also Italian is- stereotypes. Yes. Yes. It's racist <laughs> on multiple, multiple, multiple levels. levels. But this time, <laughs> instead of of um, anti-Semitism that that pops out. Of this bush, it's a a minstrel show. Yeah, it's the cast of Amos and Andy. Pops out. Uh, Jess, do you want to try and explain what what we see in this in this scene? Oh God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so there's a lot of racism in this movie. Uh, I, before we really get into the new characters, I'm gonna take a second to talk about how Spike and Petrie are probably the people of color in the original group and you know petrie is brown and speaks with broken language even after all of however long this has been within the land before time universe he cannot learn to speak correctly nope yeah and then spike is more or less (laughs) mute and then is half the time forgotten except when he's a punchline and he's also extremely much um so that we have those two already long-standing fan favorites and now we get the yellow bellies the yellow bellies are large, very chubby, uh, two-legged creatures that are adults. They have feathers on their heads for the most part, feathers on their tails, and their names are Doofa, Lufa, and Booby. And they are incredibly stupid from the jump. Yeah, they are basically a, a trio of Jar Jar Binks uh, characters. They are incredibly loud and clumsy and Littlefoot remarks that he can't understand what they're saying. And the lead one, uh, Lufa, by the way, is voiced by Cuba Gooding Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, just continuing his string of excellence <laughs> yeah. uh, after uh, after that Jerry Maguire. Uh, he just went up and then came down. Just, just yeah, he, he peaked very early. Um, one, one thing I'd like to, to say here about um lufa dufa and, and Fubi is um is it Fubi or was it booby because i had booby it, it's it, it's it's Fubi. Uh, okay. it's Fubi. It's as, yeah. as amazing as booby would be that would be <laughs> so cool when you've got lufa and dufa it, it it feels very believable that the third one would be booby now now um the the two of these character of the three that talk the other one does like a an ed from lion king kind of thing because um, we needed another uh, silent character they didn't know what to do with. Yeah, yeah another silent another character that just makes horrifying noises. Yeah, another spike. Another spike. Um, uh, uh, Lufa is Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, Dufa is is uh, famed actress Sandra Oh. Um, really, uh, just does has no does not deserve to be here. She is much better than this. <laughs> um, but they, you know, professional actors. Doing what I can only assume is voice acting at gunpoint, <laughs> yeah. like the 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 worst, just the absolute worst voice acting I've heard in some time, just atrociously bad. Because the dialogue they're being given is just unreadable. Well, not even that. Like the way they're saying it is just absolute 
garbage. Like they're they can't agree on a uh, on a singular sound to make with their mouth. So they're like peeking and like they sound like they're just constantly going through puberty like all over the place. And they are doing uh, <laughs> minstrel show shit. They're doing Jar Jar Binks shit. Yeah, there's nothing yellow bellies love better than berries. And a valley filled with berries means lots of berries to fill us yellow bellies. Yeah, it's to the point where the crew, Littlefoot's group, are afraid to leave these adult dinosaurs alone because they're so stupid they will kill themselves. Oh my god. That's literally the entire plot of the movie. This inciting incident is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. What makes the plot go forward is Littlefoot having another dream. But this time it's the 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 yellow bellies on the log. And it's bumbling <laughs> off to their deaths. No! Like, the most bizarre thing I have ever seen. Like, I was laughing when I realized, like, oh my god, this is it. This is the no turning back moment. They have to, this is what they've decided. The writers chose to do this. This is crazy. After everyone tells Littlefoot not to get involved, and these are adults, but no, no, he has this bad dream, so now he has to get involved. And even in his dream, they're bumbling around singing and dancing on the log, but they're fine until he tells them to be afraid and they panic. He even, in, yeah, he even in, infantilizes them in his, in his dream. Which causes yeah. them like... to fall to their deaths in his dream. Oh my, oh my God. Um, you, you may be uh, I don't think realizing... we're even, I don't think we're even selling how, how bad <clears throat> this is. Like, Listeners, you may be realizing that this movie is about paternalistic racism. It, it is. I, I, I am, I am loathe to, to reference South Park in any capacity, but this is the Jack Officer episode of that show, basically verbatim. Like that is, that is how bad and offensive these, um, I guess, Based on real dinosaurs, maybe, Chris? Uh, my suspicion upon seeing them was that they're meant to be Therizinosaurus. Yeah, imagine a dinosaur that kind of looks like a Jim Henson puppet with the long hair. Pretty much. That's that's pretty much what they what they are. They're like fraggles or something. But the yellow bellies look almost like they have like feathered plumes, like they're Las Vegas showgirls on their heads and their tails. So uh, I don't see it. Fucking Littlefoot, you know after being assigned by God like a Coke bottle falling down from the heavens and destroying his civilization. And by civilization here, I mean his brain. He decides that he has to lead um, these um, these three Stooge-esque characters into safety because they will just die if left to their own devices. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The plot of this movie is uh, the dino who would be king. Uh, Littlefoot takes over these yellow bellies as their uh, their savior and leads them on a holy pilgrimage to the promised land. Right, which gets into what are the wisdoms exactly? Like, are they school safety rules or like animal instinct or are they the Ten Commandments? Yeah, it's a very good question. There is a weird cult element to this where everybody just kind of blindly follows Littlefoot, but they don't they don't really understand anything he has to say, and he turns out to not really 
have any idea what he's saying, basically. Yeah, I think the film is is trying to say that Littlefoot is in over his head, that what he's doing is some kind of irresponsible, but at the same time, like, we don't even know what the wisdoms are. Like, that hasn't been firmly established because they just keep changing what that term means. I, I don't know what Littlefoot is actually doing by using these wisdoms and i don't know if he if we're supposed to see him as like bad for wanting to use these wisdoms um at at least at this point i think later on it's they do finally kind of get to okay this is what we're talking about it just takes a long long time to explain it even then like like the characters seem to know what they're talking about they seem to have an idea of what the wisdoms are but each one of their wisdoms is different yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, the um, the idea of wisdoms is is so vague that a few wisdoms are just kind of blurted out in this movie, and there is no like uniting thread uh, to any of them. And I, I'm trying not to rewrite this movie into a better movie because there would just be so many ways. But <laughs> like, if you if you really felt like you must make the movie to explain how leading somebody when you don't know what you're doing yourself is bad. Have Littlefoot have an incomplete understanding of the wisdoms. Yeah, um, Littlefoot doesn't like even really say a whole lot of wisdoms. There's just kind of a lot of uh, what do we do now, Littlefoot? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I guess I'll tell you a basic uh, thing, like. Uh, Keep your eyes and ears open. That's the one they mention like five times in this movie. Is that keep... one and stay together. Stay yeah. together. The, the reason why there aren't more wisdoms is because 90% of this film is the yellow bellies making strange sounds and falling down. Yeah, like... I'm, they they I'm... Invest, invested most of their, their screen time to that. <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm struggling to like, to like even talk about the wisdoms because they're such like... For for a thing that looms over this movie so much, they're such a nothing concept. It's very strange. Like, in, my in brain film, is having yeah. trouble. And the film's called The Wisdom of Friends, but as far as I can tell, wisdoms are something your parents just teach you. I think I think that's what the wisdom... I mean, I'm getting upset just fucking thinking about this. I don't want... Let, let's move on. I can't, All right. I can't keep doing um, this. So, coming back to the yellow bellies. The yellow bellies. Uh, I want to really yeah. stress Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, and Sandra O oh. and Sandra O oh are are doing like Amos and Andy style like minstrel acts. Like what they're doing is so racist. Like they really should be ashamed of themselves. They they really should. It really is this this paternalistic, colonialist kind of racism. Where like oh Littlefoot's uh, you know the vi- the viceroy of these of these yellow bellies they're just not ready for their independence they can't govern themselves like Maybe i don't i don't know centuries. how cuba gooding junior like when he was told to say these things in the way that he did it didn't just like punch the producer like <laughs> yeah. immediately in the f- yeah make money you know that's what you got to do i mean this this is it i mean daddy daycare too won't pay for you know everything <laughs> you got to have a little bit more variety in you got to have that new deck yeah, you what, know what, what? What house did he buy right before the housing bubble burst that he needed to pay for? <laughs> right, <laughs> you know. Uh, um, I, I do want to point out <laughs> this. This might be jumping back a little bit, but um, when the yellow bellies are first introduced, uh, they have Petrie make a comment about how he can't understand them. The brown character who can't speak English correctly. Me no 
understand them so good. So Littlefoot decides he must help them and drags his friends along and then just kind of bumbles into the yellow bellies again and again, but doesn't ever ask them if they want his help, doesn't ever like say, hey, I'm going to help you or I'm willing to help you or what do you think? He just is there and all of a sudden he's the leader because. No, it's the perfect like white colonial pitying of a of a lesser um, of, a, of a lesser society and quote unquote where they're like oh these these poor uh, primitive savages you know we have to help them because they we have to help them help themselves yeah. is what's happening here and he 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 takes it upon himself to lead their migration to whatever place it is they migrate to it's called the valley of berries uh, because they love berries, so they just love to eat those berries. So that red berry juice is all over their lips. Um, it's and he... almost a bore show the way they keep showing them eating berries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. They're never really shown to eat anything else. They just love berries. Um, and I, I'm gonna keep hammering this home. Like this is a child, so the white child gets to come in and lead this group of indigenous or people of color or whatever they're supposed to be, and that's just fine because he knows more. They begin this journey, uh, and of course, uh, going through the mysterious beyond, uh, one of the first things to happen before these, because they have to, to first go find and reunite with the entire herd of yellow bellies. Uh, at first, it's just Littlefoot and these three yellow bellies. Uh, they naturally encounter sharp teeth in uh, the mysterious beyond. Yeah, these are the, uh, dun, dun, dun. these are what I think are the, the land crocodile. Sharp teeth. I had no yeah, idea what these things were. They're not like the normal land before time T-Rexes. They're some kind of different theropod that, that's meaningless because they just make up dinosaurs in the series. But they had those long, those long crocodile-like mouths. Yeah, they they look a little bit like Baryonyx or Suchomimus, but with slightly shorter snouts than one those of them has have. a pretty. One of them has a pretty rad scar on their face. Yeah, but it's not Red Claw. It's not Red it's Claw. It's not the antagonist the of the TV, TV show. show. No, it's a different. It's a different. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god where the hell is ruby in this movie yeah, that's okay um uh, 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 jess hold on a second we gotta talk about this okay uh, okay then we'll get back to this chase then we'll, scene. Then we'll get Let's back to this in the chase scene okay I have so to so this movie takes place right before the tv show yes as, as we've, we've been so we were expecting ruby who's a new character on the TV show to be in this movie as like her introduction, but no, Ruby just appears out of nowhere. In the I TV guess show, then. Yeah, just out of no, out of the blue, she's just in the TV show. In the, in the show, <laughs> but, and then everyone's like, "Oh, it's Ruby! Hi, the, that <laughs> character we we've always known." Like at least like Tria uh, is introduced yeah. a, a couple of movies ago. Uh, uh, Sarah's mom. We, yeah. we, we we've had a few movies to to handle her. Being in the series, <laughs> but in in the in the show, it's just like Ruby's there, like she's always been there. All of a sudden, and so is Chopper. Chopper's just back for no explained reason. No, no, Chopper, they do explain. Well, they do eventually they do explain, explain why Chopper, Ruby is why there Chopper's too. there. I don't know why the fuck Ruby's there. Well, <laughs> Ruby is, is there because her people sent her to learn the Great Valley's ways. There's she's like an a, exchange student. She's, seriously, <laughs> she's an exchange student. That is yeah. What There's yeah, like a we, backstory. We're, we're, we covered that episode, Maddie. <laughs> yes, we did cover that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought there was more to it than oh that. Oh my god! I thought that episode was referencing this movie, but apparently it isn't. That's so great. I mean, maybe, maybe the wisdoms are why she has to learn about the wisdoms. She has to learn about the wisdoms. Now that's a good question. Is this movie 
worse than the TV show. Yes. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so this cha- back to the chase scene. Let's take the pin out. Back in the chase scene, oh there's this you know standard uh, thing that happens where they they knock rocks off a cliff and to kill the T-Rexes, and they bury all these sharp teeth under rocks at the bottom. The, the, the three yellow bellies, of course, blunder their way down into a pit where the Rexes are going to get them. And our characters push all these rocks off a cliff because that's how you, you kill sharp teeth. And there is no. this shot where there's a sharp tooth who is defeated. Okay, he's done. He's covered in boulders, except only like his head and neck are sticking out. And he looks really sad and he looks up at Littlefoot. And Littlefoot looks down at him with this just remorseless cold stare of murder and pushes the one last rock down that's going to crush his head and we get this brief little shot of the sharp tooth just being resigned to death before this rock just slams into his head and buries him do fucking little foot like double taps this this dinosaur like uh he, he literally says got him and got then ducky is like yep yep yeah, fucking like Boondock Saints style. These these motherfuckers, <laughs> and it's just insane. Littlefoot has gotten cold since coming. Well, to this the is Great like Valley. what the the fiftieth sharp tooth he's killed. They in say this it family? gets easier after the first time. <laughs> I thought he learned tolerance after Chomper, but nope. No, Chomper's just one of the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh God. I'm not, I wish I was making that up. <laughs> but he has no it. problem they killing They never address the of issue of Chomper and how Chomper will be biologically uh, 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 forced to eat them when he gets older. They they never, ever uh, d- discuss that. There's a real anyway. fox and the hound element just waiting to happen. It just yeah. ne- it, we'll never see it, that trigger pulled. This is no. never going to happen. Never going to happen. Um. So uh, before we move on, there were a couple things. So the yellow bellies, like are trying to bury their heads into rock and just continually bang their heads into rocks. It got to the point where I just started taking a tally of every time the yellow bellies <laughs> did something that led to a situation that could have caused their death. And there were 10. Wow. Yeah. Um, I-, I wrote a note here. Like uh, this movie is, is like if Ed and Nettie was just Ed for like 90 minutes, specifically just Ed like running and laughing. <laughs> if it was just that for for ninety straight minutes, that would that would be this movie. Pretty much. If 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 you've ever had a a smoke alarm go off <laughs> and you couldn't figure out how to turn it turn it off, you have a good a good idea of what this movie is like. And then that's 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 used uh, in the in the end. But um, yeah. So they escape. They escape the dinosaur. Sorry, you have written on your on your on your notes. Uh, this is offensive on every level. This is a crime. <laughs> I think we could prosecute this one. <laughs> like we have a case. And uh, yeah, I also wrote. I don't think I'll ever recover from this. Um, I was yeah. I was my my notes reflect a very shining esque story. Uh, to be fair, my going, notes just keep saying things like faces, angles. What are they? What is happening? <laughs> Uh, I, I also got here. Uh, my brain is rejecting this movie as I watch it. Um, cool. So they 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 make it to. They're heading toward the big rock that looks like a yellow belly because, of course, they are. They're always looking. Yeah, this is like the fifth rock, rock that looks, looks like, a, like dinosaur. a dinosaur. Yeah, it's always where they're going. But they don't know what they look like, so it's pretty ineffective. Yeah, it's very bizarre. Uh, the shape of this rock, uh, and they get there. 
And they learn when they meet all the other yellow bellies that the reason the yellow bellies keep ramming their heads into the ground is because they come from an environment where everything is sand and they're used to sticking their heads in the ground uh, like ostriches. And their, their hindquarters and feathery tails apparently look like plants when when they do this and yeah, if, if, if push and look like a bush yeah yes. if yeah if they were in like dr seuss land these yeah. would look like these would and look so, like plants this is a species what, what that, i just quoted was literally their one example of wisdom yes so the wisdoms for yellow bellies yes the theme of this of this movie starts to emerge that actually despite how ridiculous they are the yellow bellies actually have their own you know uh, inherited forms of wisdom uh, that Littlefoot is not aware of. And one of them is that they are a species that is just uh, used to surviving barely by doing stupid stuff like sticking their head in the sand to look like a bush. Yeah, and then they they um, sing uh, sing the dancing song. It, it's basically just Akuna Matata and, and its idea with with some very very strange and, and kind of worrying differences. Come on, come on and dance. Come on and shake a leg. Now's the time to take a chance. Don't be a scary egg. Petrie, me no can dance. Come on and try. Come on and try. Me no good on the ground. Me do better in the sky. Ducky, we do not dance. We not like you. You look so silly. Thanks. Silly is what we do. Yes. So um, the the basic <laughs> idea that the the song kind of is going for is the fact that the yellow bellies are a very capricious people, and they they do not uh, really worry about uh, anything. They don't think ahead in life. They just kind of go with the flow. But uh, you know, like those natives, they can just be free and experience their culture, and not have to worry about timelines or rules or using their brains. That's yeah. That's exactly. what, what being native is. Obviously, that's yeah. clearly yeah. And and I'm getting food- mad. Yep. <laughs> Littlefoot is is repressive because of his obsession with with like logic. <laughs> and somehow that's a long neck trait too. That's brought up a few times that well, he's just being a long neck. Well, Sarah yes. is racist towards long neck. I think she just makes up new stereotypes. But there's this amazing moment in the song where all of these uh, uh, yellow bellies are dancing around and singing, and they're they're like pressuring Sarah and Petrie to start dancing. And Sarah and, and Petrie, Ducky, they're pressuring Ducky, all of them. And Sarah and Petrie are so uncomfortable. There's a shot where where I think it's it's Sarah and Petrie or, or Sarah and Ducky. That's Ducky. Ducky and Petrie. Okay. Ducky and Petrie look at each other and they give each other this look that's like, okay, just go along with it. Just don't don't upset them and maybe we can get through this alive. Yeah, I think we all had the same reaction watching this. Um it it was a a very a very much a a me too movement for sure there's this weird moment where where one of the yellow bellies is trying to get sarah to dance like hey do you want to dance in your sleep stories hey don't you want to come dance in your sleep stories pal oh come on it's fun yeah uh kids don't worry your boundaries don't matter nope yeah this is um it's, it's very bad uh, on <laughs> On so many levels, it's it's this. It, there's another point. Honestly, it's it's not worth even mentioning because you should be angry <laughs> that there is basically um that this fucking um, co- um coercion going on for for the Littlefoot and his friends. But I just want to point out that these dinosaurs, the these yellow bellies, are like the most uncoordinated, like falling down, like a. Uh, uh, 
Jacques uh, Cousteau-esque characters ever, but somehow are incredibly coordinated dancers. You, you mean you mean Clouseau? Clu whatever I said. You, you said the famous <laughs> uh, deep sea uh, explorer Jacques Cousteau. It's the same thing, right? Isn't that you, you mean Inspector Clouseau? Inspector no, Clouseau. I I mean when when, when Jacques Cousteau was was fighting the the sharks <laughs> and. And um, when he was stabbing them, he was um, incredibly coordinated. He was Normally, clumsy. he had sea legs. About it. Let's talk about anything else other than this movie, right? I can, yeah, can that we, happens a lot. Can on this we podcast? be racist towards French people instead of talking about this movie? <laughs> uh, bleu. Speaking of racism, though, I want to get back to the long neck thing because the person it. who actually makes that comment was not Sarah. That was Dufa. Oh really? I didn't remember. Black that. yellow belly. Yeah. Wow. Cool. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And uh, speaking of Sarah, throughout this whole movie, she keeps being like, okay, we can go now, right? And Petrie's also like, yeah, we promised our parents we'd get back before dark. And Littlefoot keeps being like, well, no, they need us to stay. And I was terrified throughout this whole movie that it was going to be a kind of a redux that they do with Sarah almost every movie where she is bad and wrong somehow and has to learn a lesson from being bad and wrong because she's the harsh one. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I was afraid like they were going to do that because she's been right this entire time. You don't, as a child, need to lead a group of strange adults across a dangerous area filled yeah. with predators and giant rock slides. Sarah is actually proven right in this movie because it, it turns out, uh, you know, to kind of be the kiddie version of, of the man who would be king. The idea is that Littlefoot is wrong to think he can lead these people. And Sarah actually points out they were doing fine before you got here. You know, like, they'll be fine without you. And he's like, no, they've just been lucky this whole time, and their luck can run out. Um, there, Yeah, I was definitely tense this entire film until they revealed that that was, thankfully, what they were trying to say. So, that it, it wasn't something more horrible than that. Um so we we get the little reveal shot uh where it turns out that that sharp tooth that Littlefoot just murdered uh emerged from the rocks cuz Littlefoot forgot to triple tap first rule of Dino Land. You got to yeah, triple tap. Yeah, I mean, you think that two shots in the head will do it. Yeah. You'd be wrong. You got to have that third. Yeah. You think there were more than 3 rocks though. You you you'd think. Um and then one of my favorite moments oh, happens. This is, this, yeah, this is really funny. This is really funny. <laughs> so this whole movie, we're, we're talking about uh, amongst ourselves about the fact of what, when is the B-plot with the parents looking for them going to start and is it even going to start? Because in the different movies, the parents have varying levels of concern for their missing children. And <laughs> we, we have this shot where it's like the middle of the night and we cut back to Grandma Longneck and she's like, yep, now... No. I'm worried. <laughs> they, they have done literally one establishing shot five minutes before being like, well, don't worry. I'm not. Yeah, they, they know the wisdoms. It's so yeah. dramatic, too. It's it's an amazing an, an amazing moment. Um, a, a, a brief moment of joy in this 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 nails on chalkboard of a film. Yeah. Um, this is where I start to lose the thread in my notes and I, I get really mad and I'm starting to think like, maybe we don't have to watch the rest of this one. <laughs> like I can, we can somehow like fake it, but no, we are professional podcasters. Uh, yeah, we get paid a little bit. So we're, we're professional podcasters 
and we are we watched the whole thing. We did it. I'm just here for the love of the craft. Yeah, Jess just loves the game. Is <laughs> is uh, is the thing? Uh, you made a comment that it basically becomes uh, Life of Brian a little bit at this point. It becomes Life of Brian at one moment. Littlefoot has been leading these these dinosaurs in basically a death march uh, across the desert, and. Littlefoot and his friends are kind of like herding them like cattle. Like, it's gross. Oh, yeah. there's one strain from the herd. You got to get around it there. And, and whenever they don't follow directly, uh, Littlefoot has Sarah scream at them until they all get so scared they bury their heads in the sand. Yes. And it reaches the point where there's there's literally a Life of Brian scene, a scene taken straight out of Life of Brian, where Littlefoot is standing up on a promontory trying to dispense his wisdoms to these different creatures and they comically cannot understand a single thing that he's saying, and they keep misinterpreting his wisdoms. And it's exactly like that scene in Life of Brian that's like, uh, oh, you've got to think for yourselves. Yes, we've got to think for ourselves. Except it's cut short when Sarah just yells at them and they all bury their heads in the sand. And he's like, well, I guess at least they're compliant. Yep, terrify them into submission. That's how you handle the natives. Oh, my God. A bunch of other stuff happens... Uh, it's basically this this hurting of of uh, yellow bellies goes on for a long time. They find things and who could possibly Montana care. Way. I hear it's a cattleman's paradise. It's um at some point it, it's just like this is this is just like fucking Avatar shit at this point. <laughs> like what is the fucking moral here? They they're marching from what starts as like a rocky plateau mountains and now they're in a desert. And they don't have any idea where they're going. They're being led by children. And when Sarah questions Littlefoot, like, do you know where we're going? Littlefoot's response is, well, I know that the Berry Valley has never been anywhere I've been before. So I'm going or somewhere where I've never been before. Do you have any idea where you're going? Sort of. See, I've never heard of Berry Valley before. So it's going to be someplace I've never been. Right? And Dufa comes up behind the, the yellow belly and is like, that sounds like great logic. And <laughs> Littlefoot and Sarah give each other this horrified look and are like, I don't know if that's a good thing. And then they immediately find water and everything's fine. Yep. Yeah. Let's just not let's just not question this moment. Let's not uh, take this discussion any further. Uh, the universe will just just help us real quick. The the yellow bellies are trying to find a place called Berry Valley. Yeah, the Valley of Berries. The Valley or of Berries, like which I guess is their version of the Great Valley, and because uh, they only eat berries, like Chris was saying earlier. Yeah, they only eat berries. They eventually uh, find some plants that are berries and just like eat the whole thing and then pass out, which yeah. is a mood for sure. Before and, anybody from Littlefoot's group can get any berries, except for Spike, because it's funny, and the film remembered that he was there. Yes. Yeah, Spike's main purpose in this film, as in most of the films, is just to eat things and have that be funny. But like, he's there on screen for five minutes max out of this entire movie. Yeah, there are scenes, weirdly, where he's not even there. Like, they show they show all the other uh, of the Littlefoot gang, but Spike is just conspicuously absent. Look, this is... this is They didn't have that Spike money. They have him in every scene of this movie. <laughs> yeah. What kind of budget yeah, do you think this was? Yeah, they have to have uh, uh, Doobie there as the new silent character. Oh my. Spike's being replaced. It's... I don't know. Like, it, it feels like they're trying to... Uh, both sides this shit with like oh you know Littlefoot is doing bad but the, the to be fair the yellow bellies are like stupid and it's it's very 
it's very unnerving. It, it's very gross. But I guess this this all leads to a point because I guess the the film decides to I don't know. It, it rains. It's raining. We need something to happen. It's raining now. <laughs> your your notes say the moral is never learn. Yes. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> yeah, so Littlefoot decides because it's raining and the clouds are incredibly dark, like this looks like a thunderstorm, that you have to go higher. So I was expecting them to get to the top of a mountain and get struck by lightning. Yeah. But And Littlefoot starts to question his decision as they just keep marching up the mountain. And everyone's just like, oh, no, we'll just keep going. So they keep going. And I was waiting for a consequence that never happens. He was right the whole time again. Yeah, it, this, this movie is so inconsistent about whether Littlefoot is right or or whether the more uh, capricious instinct-based attitude of the Yellow Bellies is right. And it ends up being, uh, unfortunately, this message that it's a little both. You, you need a little, uh, a little bit of, of Western colonialist uh, logic and a little bit of, of beautiful indigenous idiocy, as this movie um, understands it. Yeah, you, you got to have uh, the book smarts, which is the Western civilization, and the street smarts, which is the, the, the native instinct. <clears throat> it's so offensive. It's so gross. I am so upset. Uh also, never ever ask for help, or the people you're leading don't ask them what they think. Just do it. Just, just blind, blindly follow. Because um, there's there's a song. They break into a song eventually about how like, oh, you gotta use your head, but also use your gut, because that's 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 the childish message of this movie. You can But I, I think our, our note conversation uh, to each other while we were watching this was something along the lines of, uh, so what's the message here? Uh, no colonialism? Yes, colonialism. Some colonialism? And you said some colonialism. Okay, yeah, neocolonialism. Got it. That's, that's <laughs> the message of this movie. Yeah, I don't know how political you get on this podcast, but uh, Littlefoot is a liberal, I've decided. He comes in and is like, I know what's best for these poor brown people. I will lead them. And then does with care from a paternalistic standpoint, gets things wrong, but is never actually wrong, and they're all better off for it. So it's, yeah, yay! It's yay. really depressing because I think Littlefoot started out a lot more radical in the series, but that's what happens when you try to change things from within the system. You know, it's just gross. It it tears you apart. It it removes it removes the radical from you. Well, uh, if you do look at Littlefoot's uh, background, he was he was um, kind of a what what was his what was his attitude in the first movie? In the first movie, he was he was this. Uh, he was a refugee. He was, he was a ref refugee. Yeah. yeah. Um. Now he got he got Americanized in the worst way. It's a very sad story. That's what happens. He's in become the Great a politician. Valley. Yep. The final action beats happen. The sharp they, teeth come back. They find a fucking sharp cares. teeth. Oh, They've been God. buried alive, but yeah. no. So the sharp teeth come come back. And all of our friends get cornered by sharp teeth, and they have no plan because there's uh, neither a, a rock nor a log nearby, um, and the sharp teeth are not at the bottom of a cliff, which is a problem. And so <laughs> the sharp teeth are approaching our characters, going to eat everyone, the whole herd of yellow bellies. Can I have a brief aside here? Yes. Um, the sharp teeth remind me of Joanna the Goanna from The Rescuers Down Under. Yes! That's what their design looks like. Hmm. Um, but anyway... The sharp teeth are approaching our characters, and Littlefoot's like, 
I don't know what to do with all my logic. What do you yellow bellies think we should do? <laughs> and the yellow bellies just start going. Ah, ah, they start ah, screaming. And then they everyone all starts start screaming. screaming. <laughs> And they annoy the sharp teeth to death. The sharp teeth get so annoyed that they they escape backwards off the cliff and die. The cr- the cliff does crumble and fall, but yeah, no, like I I wrote this in our group chat. Like this is so illogical. This would never ever happen. Predators would never stop just because creatures are going ah. But at the same time, maybe they were right. Maybe the <laughs> yeah. sharp teeth knew. <laughs> I mean, that, that that counts as something the filmmakers set up that these characters are intensely annoying. Oh my, it's like, I, I, this, parents must have loved this one when their kids were watching it. Like all the loud noises and running around and screaming. It must have been just a, a hootenanny for, for them. This is like painful. Like at this point, I'm just like, I don't care about anything anymore. Please just end the movie, which thankfully it does. After this happens, the little Well, there's foot... the big reveal first. What, okay, what's the big um, reveal again? That's The big reveal is that Stooby or Fooby or Booby or Dooby or whoever the oh, hell yeah. he is, the silent one, the silent was one. the wise one that they've been talking about this whole time that none of Littlefoot's gang believes is real because they're all so stupid. But he was the wise one. and That checks out, actually, because he was the smartest one in that in this movie. Yeah, but, like, it was also one of those moments where Littlefoot and the gang decided there couldn't possibly be a wise one because they were so stupid, and they never actually asked who the wise one was. No, and, you know, and I guess... I think the movie is trying to say, like, oh, Littlefoot, you're bad for, for assuming that, but you're also presenting these creatures as like dumb as bricks. So you are doing, it's not just having your cake and eating it too. You're doing many, many, many things with your cake. It's, it's a lot well, of cake. And, and it was also, it's set up so where it's the punchline. I think this yes. is supposed to be funny. Yes, absolutely. And which is a fucking problem. Um, at this point, uh, uh, Littlefoot and his friends, his parents are there. They show up. For the first time ever, because usually they just <laughs> don't do anything. Usually their efforts at rescue are marginal at best. Yes, if um, at all. <clears throat> yeah, they, they see that their kids have maybe fallen off a cliff based on something that happens earlier in the movie and are despairing their loss and then somehow stumble across them. I and th- yes. thankfully, um, uh, Daddy Tops has, I think, only one line in this entire movie. Uh, which is, uh-oh, that doesn't look good. And I can't remember anything else with him because usually he would show up and, and say all sorts of horrible racist things, but he doesn't in this one. Well, there was already enough racism without him, so yeah, he yeah, wasn't they, really needed to, they to actually, contribute that. They didn't need their resident uh, Trumper character to, uh, to to be racist in this movie. The nope. movie took care of it. Is So during the scene where the sharp teeth first get there, before everybody gets together and annoys them to death, uh, there's... You know, the yellow belly split off and just start running like crazy. And apparently they're very fast, which would also make sense for their survival. But so there are two that are running away. So one is, was it Luby? The, what, Sandra O, oh, because I can't remember which one is which, uh, is running away. And, Dufa, uh, I believe. 
Lufa. So Sarah comes in and saves her. But there's another one just running in the background that does not get saved. So what happened to that one? Death. Yeah, they died. You know, it's a harsh world. This is it's dinosaur times. It's not easy. You know, you're not everyone's expected to live through these encounters. There is well, a, goodbye, Flufa. <laughs> I can't wait to read all the comments of people saying, I can't believe you're getting the names wrong. It's so easy to tell them apart. What is wrong? <laughs> I can't wait for the fans to get mad at us again for this <laughs> To be fair, they can get show. mad at me for this. Yes. Which, well, hey, I don't give a hey, nobody, dick the fucking these... Maddie, well, okay. nobody, can get, nobody will ever get as mad at you about this show on, on Twitter as they do about Has Been Hotel. Okay, yeah, I make one joke... <laughs> about has been a hotel and i still get comments on it like four months later it's you're famous i'm so cool um and the, then there's narration at the end the yes. closing narration which has nothing to do with the narration at the beginning there's there is a, a bit of a punchline at the end of this movie where the the little foot is talking about like all the wisdoms that he's learned and grandma says you forgot the most important wisdom of all never leave the great valley but you forgot the most important wisdom stay in the great valley yeah, and it's like oh we, we don't care what your whole story just was that happened we just are upset that you left home stay in the suburbs <laughs> where you belong the outside world is oh, scary maybe that's that's like Maybe that that line was was secretly saying, "Stay in Europe, Europeans." May nobody no, yeah. nobody wants your help. That's uh, it's all very possible. I want their help. I want <laughs> anyone's help. I want all the helps. And then the movie ends, or at least I'm going to say the movie ends. I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Um, uh, so, uh, Jess, what what are your your overall thoughts? Neo-colonialism. <laughs> <laughs> Neocolonialism, which is a word I yeah. can't say, is bad. Yes. And so is this movie. It is bad. It it's quite bad. Um I I, I it, we've seen bad ones before, but this is the first time where I'm like actually like angry to watch it. Usually when, when a film is is bad in this franchise, it's usually bad in, in a very boring way where I'm just like falling asleep <laughs> oh, while watching it. Uh Jess, you mentioned earlier um that uh the the fact that you were American Indian was gonna be was gonna come up at some point. Um, was was there a was there like a story you have that relate related to th- this movie? I mean, I think it's just kind of been coming up throughout my reading of it, like the way that they treat indigeneity or people of color. But there's also a specific moment, uh, which is the life of Brian moment, where Littlefoot preaches to uh, this the crowd of yellow bellies, and he. To get them to listen, he has Sarah terrify them into listening, and then they conform. And it just, like, it reminded me of, like, mission schools in this really horrible way. And while I'm sure that's not what the the film creators intended, there's just so much terrible colonialism stuff there. And they, like, the whole thing about them following their their heart, I guess, it's not even said as following their gut, it's, like, it's so bizarre and out of nowhere and like these these creatures have no thought of anything and it's never clear whether they're supposed to be right or supposed to be wrong and, and like Littlefoot was kind of wrong I guess but the sh- he's never actually shown to do anything wrong so I have no idea where the movie actually stands on anything other than that colonialism kind of exists 
and that we should have opinions on it, I guess. Yeah, it's extremely problematically vague. It's 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 a lot like when um <clears throat> uh Invasion of the Tiny Sauruses did did genocide. It, it's just like maybe maybe you shouldn't do this at all in a Land Before Time movie. Maybe this isn't your topic. Maybe you should just make another movie about bullying or something. Yeah, I think this is what happens in these kind of these sequels that they're only mandates really just to be as generic and as quote unquote inoffensive as possible. But by doing that, they end up becoming way more offensive than if they just had an opinion to begin with on any of these things. And I'm sure we have viewers, uh, listeners rather, who are like, oh, you are reading way too much into this kid's movie. It's It's got nothing to do with colonialism at all. It's It's just... You know, the little foot wanted to help out, but the, these people didn't need his help. You can, you can read ideology into everything, whether or not it was intended by the creator. Our our ridiculously <clears throat> political, specifically historical reading of this movie may not have been anywhere near the minds of the people writing it, but the reading is still there, and that's the problem. Well, and you also don't have to search for the reading. It's pretty on the surface. I mean, even the thing about uh, Lufa or Dufa, you know, names, the Cuba Gooding Jr. character being blue. Blue is historically in animation. It's coding for a black person in a medium where they don't really show black people. Like, it, it's like this is a it's a larger pattern and it reflects and refracts social values. And colonialism is definitely part of the fabric of American ideology. So you can't say it's not there, even if it's not supposed to be there based on what the authors think. The death of the author is still a valid interpretation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we haven't we we never even touched on the fact that they are called yellow bellies, which is problematic yeah. in so many ways. Like that's and a very loaded term. Yeah, and they're regularly depicted as being afraid of everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, there's definitely a a huge uh, weight of of cultural history going into this. Just how how people have depicted people, how white people have depicted people of color, um, and metaphorical people of color for centuries is in this. It's it's just inarguable. And and honestly, it's. I, I'm sorry if if that's not um, interesting to you. And, you know, if you want to see, if you want to listen to the podcast where it's just people say, oh, Land Before Time 13 is not funny. What a stupid fucking kids movie. <clears throat> I mean, the, the nostalgia critic still makes content somehow. I don't know how or why, but he does. Like, you can get that <laughs> somewhere else. That's not what this <laughs> podcast is. That's a very stupid and boring way of looking at something. I'm sorry. Like, uh. we're not here to... We're not here to call a kids movie bad for being a kids movie. Like that's stupid. I mean, there were problems throughout with all kinds of things. Like the animation quality is terrible. Oh the my god! Oh, we didn't even static. talk about There's that. Not, oh my god! Well, we, I think we talked a little bit about it, but like th we we really need to stress that this might be the worst animation in the whole series, and that's a big order, tall order for sure. Yeah. Their faces are so weirdly stretched. They're always at an angle, mm -hmm. and they they look like they're all have like they're all out of a nightmare parody of what they should look like the entire time. Yes. And there horrible. is 
and I know, again, I've said this before, but this movie honestly has the most awkward incorporation of 3D of any of these. Yeah, it's 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 awful. There was a, there was one particular scene with, with grass that like I just choked up on. It was so bad. This is the kind of thing where we can't describe how bad it is uh, accurately unless you see it with your own eyes. It's a mix of bad 2D and bad 3D animation, and it's, it's kind of unique. Yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where if a movie can fail on every level, this one does. It fails on a story level, it fails on a character level, it fails with consistency, it fails with animation quality. Like the only thing it does well is that it's short. Yes, thankfully <laughs> it's short. And 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 as horrible as it is, it, it there is a bit of a so bad it's good kind of quality to it. Oh, we were laughing like yeah, I haven't laughed in months. It's yeah, it, no, we were having. I mean, there were also times where I wanted to die watching it, <laughs> or but there possibly also, kill or kill or kill. I wanted to kill something or someone, but I I think it, it'll be interesting to see where this this film takes place once Chris and I do our our best of list when we kind of rank them at the end of this this show yeah for the sheer just offensiveness and annoyingness and enraging qualities of this movie it might be the worst like i'm still inclined to say that nine is a more boring movie by far so which which one of those reflects quality the most i'm not sure of well, that's the 13th movie, which means it's time to do a different segment. And boy, am I excited about that. This is the, the time when the, the, the science and the dinosaurs and uh, it's, uh, it's Dino Facts with uh, Professor Truthosaurus. Uh, yeah, so this movie finally does it, uh, listeners. It introduces Therizinosaurus. I think we've talked about Therizinosaurus numerous times. Uh, in Q&As, people have asked me, what dinosaur do you most want to see from this movie? Um, uh, Aaron and I have talked about Therizinosaurus before. There's been a lot of talk about it. So finally, this is the movie that did Therizinosaurus. Uh, and it depicted them as basically Jim Henson characters in their design. Uh, is that accurate? Who knows? Therizinosaurus is a dinosaur known from very, very few bones. It was originally discovered basically just a huge set of arms with tremendous claws, like this massive, taller than a, than a human pair of arms with gigantic, terrifying claws. And people couldn't tell what they were looking at, but they knew it was fearsome. You know, people thought, is this, you know, the, the biggest, most terrifying predator of all time? Uh, other people were like, no, this, this is like a giant turtle. There were, there were literally people who thought it was a giant turtle. And there were all sorts of, of just back and forth about what this thing was. Over time, a few more bones here and there have been discovered. A few bits of leg bone and, and uh, ribs and things like that. And this reconstruction has emerged of Therizinosaurus that is very strange. It's this 
huge chicken-like dinosaur with a long neck and kind it of looks an, like a Jim Henson puppet. That looks like a Jim Henson puppet with this abrupt uh, tail. And the idea is that it was a theropod, but it was actually an herbivore, and it ate using those big claws to like reach out and pull branches toward it. But we really don't have much to go off of. We have so few bones that the paleo artists have just kind of taken the bones and done what they do and approximate out from the bones we have to imagine what the dimensions of the rest of this creature are. And I'm, I'm just an amateur enthusiast. I'm not a paleontologist. Maybe, you know, one of you paleontologists who listens to the show can explain it better to me. But from my layman's perspective, I don't really know how we get the dinosaur that we see out of the bones that we have. It's a very... Um, it's a very it, it, it reeks to me of a thing that's going to be proven wrong at some point in the future much like how uh, you know we've we've very suddenly decided that Spinosaurus was a quadruped um, because we never had the legs before and oh we've got the legs now that's interesting um, but Therizinosaurus is just so unlike anything else that I would be shocked if we don't make a further discovery about it at some point in the future that completely revises its anatomy. Um, so that just goes to show you how much we interpret from so very little and how much we really do know about these about these creatures, which is a lot less uh, than, uh, than we say we do. You mean that the yellow bellies aren't completely an accurate biological description of what this dinosaur is? <laughs> Yeah, when did they? When, yeah, when did they find the the yellow the yellow belly uh, b bones the the yellow bones that made I, the? <laughs> I think the initial discovery was in the '40s, and and they've continued to make more discoveries every so often since then, just kind of updating what it what it uh, apparently looked like. All right, well, uh, I've I've just given um, probably the uh, the least informative and and most. Uh, 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 editorialized uh, lecture of my career uh, Dr. Rongodactyl do you have uh, a more concrete follow up you know I don't okay Doc, well thanks no, for listening to no, what? This is, I'm sorry uh, Professor Truthosaurus but this is this is very hard for me to admit and I am in a very vulnerable place right now but I think it's important to air the truth out for everyone to hear and for all the listeners at home uh our 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 special guest Jess for this episode um but I have to come clean I made this movie that we just watched oh yes all uh, right I want I want names I want a lawsuit okay please please let me explain okay. go, go ahead We're, this this is being recorded for law enforcement the year was 2007 I was a newly minted freshman at my alma mater, University of California, Santa Barbara. I remember going to orientation as giddy as a schoolgirl, which I was. I was a girl in school. I remember looking at the fields and being so excited for my new life as a film major to learn the craft. When all of a sudden, out in the woods, because there were woods there, I saw a creature 
coming towards me. That creature was a Hollywood producer. The worst of all dinosaurs. Worst of all dinosaurs. Was it Charles Grosvenor? Asaurus. Yes, it was Charles Grosasaurus. Oh, dear. That approached me. And he said to me, Hey, little girl, would you like to come with me and write a screenplay for the 13th movie in the Land Before Time franchise? And I was ecstatic. I'm like, oh my God, I get this amazing opportunity to write this incredible script. So I sat down and I wrote quite possibly the greatest piece of any kind of writing ever conceived by anyone. Like For this, the 13th Land Before Time for the, movie. For, for the 13th Land Before Time movie. This, I mean... I, I showed it to a couple of, of my professors and they were like, we'll just give you the degree right now. Clearly we have nothing to teach you. You are perfect as you are. This, this script is, is basically Citizen Kane of, with dinosaurs. This is incredible. And I said, I know I obviously like it's, I know I wrote it. I know it's great. When I gave that script to the producer, the producer said, this is amazing, but we have to make some changes. And from behind the producer came a man. And that man was Cuba Gooding Jr. And Cuba Gooding Jr. looked at the script and said, there aren't enough screaming dinosaurs in it. And I said, why would you put screaming dinosaurs into a movie? That sounds horrible and incredibly annoying and Cuba Gooding Jr. said don't you know that I won or was nominated for an Oscar for Jerry Maguire I can't remember if I won for that or not but it's, you, you know, think I you was, would know uh, yeah that's what I remember thinking too it's a very long fumbly threat that he that he was making to me I said well okay I guess I could put in some some screaming dinosaurs and um and then he looked at me and said, oh, by the way, how do you feel about fumbled colonialist messages? And I said, well, I, I think I hate them, like, like, like most, most people in my, my position. And he said, I want you to write it. And I took the script home and I said, what am I going to do? Cuba Gooding Jr. wants me to write the worst film of all time changed my masterpiece of land before time 13, which at that time was going by the header, the wisdom of friends It was actually the same title. Um, thankfully, but I said, well, okay, what if I do what most Hollywood writers do in this situation when they're given a, a deadline and, in, in, in um, some context like this and do a whole bunch of cocaine uh, laced with PCP and drink uh, uh, 10 bottles of the cheapest vodka that I could. So I did all of that, woke up the next day with a finished script in front of me. That was still amazing. So I just got a computer to write it with an algorithm. And I submitted that to them. And 
they ended up not even using it. I think they just fired me at that point. I think they fired. I might actually still be employed by the Land Before Time movie makers. I actually don't really remember. But they ended up hiring uh, somebody else. Uh, I think it was a, um, I think it was a, uh, a talking dog from one of those um, Airbud movies that they got to finish it. Oh, and foreshadowing. I think yeah, I think that's what it was. And the the rest is history. But what I've learned, I guess, if I were to take away anything from this experience, it's that. I was just born too early as as a creative person. I am just too ahead of my time. And people aren't ready to hear and see my uh, my my uh, Iliad-level epics about uh, talking brontosauruses and stegosauruses, uh, discussing friendship. But he doesn't talk. Spike doesn't talk. Well, that's, well, that's not, why well, they this, fired well, you. Well, in this one, he, he... You know what? That probably is. I, I yeah. Fuck. I gave Spike lines, and that's why they fired me from yeah. the script. Of course. Yeah. It wasn't all... It wasn't all other stuff. It was... No, that's... that. Yeah, I had... Hey, Hollywood's a brutal place. Yeah, I, I said... You know, I wrote, Spike has to be voiced by Leonard Malton. And... Not Orson Welles? No. It, uh, he's dead. That, that can't happen. Um, It was... Yeah, that makes a lot of things. That's I gotta apologize. Wow, thank you. Well, listeners, you uh, you may not have learned much about uh, dinosaurs this time around, but you've learned a few things about the creative process, which is that when capitalism gets involved, art dies. I think the the message here is to to take as mu- many speedballs as you can and see what happens. Parody, parody, don't do that. <laughs> Parody, you know, parody. I, it's true. I would also believe that a bot wrote this script. So, and that's today's wisdom. Yes. Um, well, Jess, uh, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming onto the podcast. Uh, before you go, we would like to ask you the question we love to ask all of our guests: um, mm-hmm. What What is your favorite dinosaur, and why? This is such a tough question because. I was a dinosaur kid. I'm still a dinosaur fan, and I like so many of them. Uh, So my answer will change every time you ask me this question. Uh, But for today, I think I'm going to pick a Nothosaurus, which, if that counts. Does that count? It does count, (laughs) yeah. You can do do marine reptiles. That's fine. (laughs) All right, cool. So Nothosaurus is from the Triassic period. Its name actually means false lizard, and it's really cool because it can come on land and in water in fact in some of my old books which i think are probably out of date but it was described as amphibious and i loved it because it has this long neck and these really wicked looking teeth it was around like africa and asia and there are a bunch of different subspecies but like the teeth are so long and jagged and i've kind of used that template as a something i want to actually make into a piece of art i i like it's one of those things that kind of sticks in your mind and makes you want to look into more. And it's kind of a transitional species, which I always find super interesting. I, I think it's also an index fossil that uh, they've used for as, as evidence for continental drift as well, because they, they find the fossils on continents that used to be connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's uh, significant to, to paleontology. Um, yeah, that's a very cool and very unique choice. What can I say? I'm a special snowflake. Aw, you're the specialist of <laughs> snowflake. Uh, well, uh, Jess, do you have anything you want to plug before we uh, wrap up this show? 
uh yeah come check out our band inkblood we will probably be gigging again at some point when the world opens up and <laughs> and maybe recording some stuff as well who knows sky's the limit <laughs> sky's the limit um yeah, yeah. i'm trying to think because we didn't i mean we didn't do really any like therapist talk in this episode if you, that was something you're interested in doing jess I mean, I feel like we all need therapy. I think that Littlefoot in this episode has a God complex that he really needs to deal with. Um, you know, Sarah needs to stop covering with her anger because she's got a lot of heart and a lot of really good points. And if she could just learn to access that, you know, I feel like uh, Petrie has it within himself to, to learn that, you know, he does not have to make up a special personality. He can be special all by himself, no matter how he talks. And that Spike, with a little bit of help, can get over his selective mutism, you know. And that Ducky can say more than "yep, yep" or "nope, nope." You know, she's she's got more to her than that. Well, there you have it, folks. The Land Before Time crew has been officially diagnosed. Uh, we will not hear no other arguments. This is what their conditions are. Um, it's kind of like Winnie the Pooh, where they say every character is a metaphor for some kind of personality oh, disorder. Fucking God, I hate those fucking theory <laughs> shit. It's like, oh, what if uh, all of the uh, all of the uh, Ed and Eddie characters were like the seven deadly sins? Like, fuck off, you piece. You don't know f- anything. That's stupid. I hate that shit. Well, anyway. Thanks for noticing. Uh, yeah, they're probably whatever. Um, yeah, uh, w- yeah. Winnie the Pooh's actually the movie seven, if you think about it. Like, fucking <laughs> s- gives a shit. That's so... F- I hate it. I hate that stuff. New fan theory. Is yeah. the Hundred Acre Wood secretly outer space? <laughs> what if the Hundred Acre Wood is imaginary? I'm like... It's, it's wait, wait, wait. Point. What if the Hundred Acre Wood is the Great Valley? <gasps> oh, shit. <laughs> Oh my god, what if the Great Valley was like a fucking car that was on a cliff and uh, and the yellow bellies jumped and the yellow bellies Oh, by the way, my my secret theory that I mentioned earlier my theory about the earth shake was that the yellow bellies jumped which caused the initial earth shake because they've been shown to be able to like literally break the ground with their jumping yeah and they have the power of the earth because they dig into it so much <laughs> so that makes perfect sense to me they're actually earthbenders oh yeah yeah they're all um little uh, uh terras from teen titans <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> All right. Well, let's turn on that that time machine that we have. G- dimensional gate. Open the the stargate up and let's get out of here, Chris. Uh, well, I'm afraid we're having a bit of a problem with the time machine here. Um, uh, as we were uh, observing the the yellow bellies earlier, uh, their auditory frequency from all their shrieking. Uh, kind of reprogrammed the time machine a little bit, and in order to get it to activate, we're all going to have to make a really obnoxious, uh, high-pitched uh, shrieking noise. Oh, I mean, I would do that even if we didn't have to do. Okay, yeah, all just right. To do it. Everybody ready? I think I'm. I think I'm dead. Okay. Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Wait, I got it working again. Okay. <laughs> I see. You want me to do the Dumb and Dumber joke? I can do the Dumb and Dumber joke. Let's do it. Let's go for it. All right, pulling the lever. <laughs> Wow! 
Oh my gosh, Chris. We only have one more of these movies left. I want to kill you. No, why? Because you made me watch all these movies. No, no, this was a team effort. We did this together. You're right, we did this to each other. That I started. We, we are uh, getting a, a transmission. Somebody wants to uh, uh, teleport in through our, our time portation device. Somebody wants to guest on this show? We usually just kidnap them. Hold on, they're already coming in. Show me the money. <gasps> Cuba Gooding Jr. From the movie we just saw? And also the acclaimed Disney film Home on the Range? And also probably good films as well. Yeah, wow, what are you doing here? You're gonna show me the money. Well, usually what we do is we give you the money after the interview. We yeah, don't usually yeah, do it I mean, you, uh, first. You gonna show me the money? Well, okay, I, you're gonna need to calm down a little bit, Cuba Gooding Jr. You're the one that wanted to come onto our show. Look, look, just let's let's change the subject. What was it like doing the voice for this uh, Land Before Time movie? Show me the money. Look, like we just said we'll give you the money later. We just want you to answer a normal question. What was it like to do this movie? And I was so good at it. There's nobody I was offending. And you, you want to know? You want to know the psychology behind this? It's not the work. Show me the money! Yeah, you, uh, when you say it like that, I guess it was cash that probably motivated you to be in this film. I'll miss you. Goodbye. Tune in next week when we critique the last and final Land Before Time movie, Cruella. Oh, wait, that's a different film that has nothing to do with dinosaurs yet. I mean, it might, for all we know, the way these Disney live-action reboots go. You know what? Puppies live in a society. See you next week for the last Land Before Time movie, folks. This land was made for time and land. 